If you have your Bible with you, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Daniel. We come now to Daniel chapter 6. Remember, Daniel's right after Ezekiel. If that helps. We will be reading the entirety of this chapter. (coughs) Pardon me, if you haven't noticed... I have allergies or a cold or something. So I appreciate your patience. We are reading Daniel chapter 6, all of the chapter. Please give careful attention to this reading of God's holy and infallible and errant word. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, 
the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, peoples are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the living and active word of the living and true God. May you receive it as such. In this church, we hold to the Westminster Confession, along with its larger and shorter catechisms, as our doctrinal standards of our teaching. We believe it's a faithful summary of what the Bible teaches. In Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 14, it asks this seemingly simple but surprisingly complex question and gives it an answer with a beautifully succinct summary. It says this, what is sin? And of course, we all know that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression against the law of God. What this means is that sin, we can sin either by doing something which God forbids or by not doing something that God commands. In the tradition of our church, this has been talked about as sins of omission and sins of commission. There are things that God requires us to do, and there are other things that God forbids us to do. Daniel chapter 3, as we talked about, these chapters at the beginning of the book, they kind of run in a concentric circle, and they parallel each other. Chapter 3 parallels chapter 6, which we're looking at today. In chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being tempted to commit a sin of commission. Nebuchadnezzar demanding them to do something which God forbids. 
trying to get them to bow down and worship his golden statue. Because they refuse to sin against God in this way, they are thrown into a fiery furnace, yet they are miraculously delivered by the Lord, all of which brings Nebuchadnezzar to exalt the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in our passage today, Daniel 6, Daniel is being tempted to commit a sin of omission, as Darius is forbidding him to do something which God requires, and that is to pray and worship and serve his Lord and his God. But in godly defiance, Daniel continues to worship, serve, and pray to his God in his normal routine. As a result, he's thrown into this den or this pit of lions. But as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, once again the Lord delivers his servant with the result that the king, this time Darius, exalts the Lord God. It's a parallel passage that we're supposed to notice as we're looking at this. That there's a pattern of God's faithfulness to his people in exile. That despite all the powers of the kings of this world, God delivers his people and his name is exalted. That stands true forever. But the question of this text today is whether Daniel, in his old age, in his 80s, and in this new regime, Will he continue to be faithful and worship and serve the Lord his God, despite the slander and despite the suffering which that might bring him? As we come to this text today, we might well think about our temptations to sins of commission and sins of omission. Our culture, even as it tempts us and shames us away from worshiping and serving the one true God, while Daniel is a good example to, of faithfulness to us, yet Daniel's example is not what saves us, and that's not the purpose of the passage. What we'll see today is that it is only Jesus Christ who has fully overcame sin and temptation, and that it is only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which brings us deliverance from his and our enemies. To come to this conclusion, we're going to consider three somewhat brief points. First, we're going to look at a malicious conspiracy, verses 1 through 9. Second, we'll look at a mournful command, verses 10 through 18. And finally, third, we'll look at a marvelous conclusion. A malicious conspiracy, a mournful command, and a marvelous conclusion. Let's look at that first point, the malicious conspiracy. Last week, we looked at chapter 5. You remember it had that abrupt introduction to this uh, king, the final Neo-Babylonian king, Belshazzar. Because of this, because of his arrogance, that he took the vessels from the temple of the Lord that his father, grandfather, had brought, and he drank wine out of them and drank to his gods and was mocking the God of heaven. Because of this, God required his soul of him that very night. And God brought an end to the Neo-Babylonian kingdom, and it was received by Darius the Mede. Chapter 6 begins by describing how Darius sought to organize his kingdom. The first thing that he does is set up 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now, a satrap means a, a protector of the kingdom or the empire. These would have been individual officials who were set up in various locations throughout the Persian 
kingdom. Further, Darius set three high officials over the 120 satraps. So the chain of command would have been the satraps who reported to the three high officials who then reported directly to the king. Among the three high officials, we are told, Daniel was chosen. While it might seem like a surprising choice to us, this Jewish exile, yet it's actually a wise choice. Daniel is now in his 80s, and he spent somewhat of 66 years in Babylon, serving on a high level of political authority and as an advisor to the king. Moreover, he is a man noted for his wisdom, integrity, and piety. He's a good choice for this position. And as formerly, we see that Daniel quickly distinguished himself among his peers and the other high officials, with verse 4 saying, because an excellent spirit was found in him. This is the same language that was used in chapter 5. Remember, the queen mother spoke to Belshazzar and said that this Daniel has an excellent spirit in him. This refers to the wisdom and knowledge given to Daniel's spirit by the Holy Spirit and by the work and blessing of God, and which is evident to all those who encounter him as we keep seeing him getting promoted and blessed even in exile. This was evident to Darius, who had it in his mind, we're told, to make him ruler or place uh, the, the reign over all the kingdom to him. We don't know if the other high officials or the satraps actually knew about this intention of Darius to exalt Daniel in this way. But it seems like they did get a notion of the favoritism which was being shown that well deserved that he was serving. This brings them to the realization that, that if they are going to have to get Daniel out of the way, they don't want him to get exalted like this. So the satraps and the other two high officials came together and they maliciously plotted a conspiracy against Daniel. But as they try to work it out, how are we going to get Daniel out of place they realize a problem. He's completely faithful in his service. They say we cannot find anything against him in terms of his service to the kingdom. There's an irony here that these men are coming together conspiring against the most faithful, faithful servant in the land and they can't find anything of him that is unfaithful. So what do they do? They say, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We shouldn't pass over this admission of Daniel's enemies lightly. They admit that if they're going to find a charge against Daniel, it's not going to be through his moral failures or his failures in service to the king it will be have to be on the basis of his devotion to his God. This is high praise from the lips of enemies. In accordance with this, they begin to fabricate a situation in which to trap Daniel. So in verses 6 through 8, they approach King Darius and they make a suggestion to him, a flattering proposal, as it were. 
These high officials and satraps approach Darius, and they give him the usual flattering greeting, O king, live forever. But even as they're showing their respect with their lips, they openly lie to the king and say that all the governors, all the officials, anyone who serves you, we've come together and we think you should have this injunction. I don't think Daniel, one of the three high officials, was involved with this. They're explicitly lying to the face of the king. Nevertheless, they continue their lie and make a proposal to the king that he has an injunction that for 30 days, just 30 days, that no one is to make a petition to any god or any man except to Darius the king. Just for 30 days. It will make your political reign, which is new to this region, it will secure it. It seems like a good idea, and it's flattering to the king that they would exalt him in this way. These verses introduce us to yet another situation in Daniel's long life in exile. Yet Daniel took to heart the words of Jeremiah 29, verse 7, which says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. At this point, Daniel is an old man who had lived through the conquering of his kingdom, has been living 66 years in captivity and in exile in Babylon. Now he's seen Babylon conquered and he come under a new command, the command of the Medes and Persians. Yet throughout all this time, the Lord has blessed Daniel. He has given him grace and favor with those with whom he had to do. The purpose of this passage and all this book is not ultimately to exalt Daniel and call for our imitation of him, but he is used as an example of faithfulness and suffering so that we might take courage. In line with this, there is this sobering question. How many of us, when our lives are scrutinized, how many of us, if others gave a true look at it, would we be found blameless in everything except for our devotion to God? Probably few. It seems to me, and because of this, it also challenges us, those of us who are living in the Babylonian captivity of this world, and it challenges us, our God. It is this kind of service which gives us favor with those with whom, but in accordance with his usual practice, he went to his upper chambers, opened his windows, and bowed down towards Jerusalem, as he did three times a day, praying and giving thanks to the Lord his God. As indicated in the text, this is not uh, something Solomon bowed down and praised the Lord and prayed to him that the Lord would hear the print. In accordance with the psalmist, in Psalm 55, 17, Daniel prays three times a day, even as that psalm talks about morning, noon, and evening. But Daniel didn't do this in a high-handed way, but he merely kept up with his nor normal practice, his daily devotions, as it were. Yet in accordance with the plans of his enemies, his enemies came to spy out 
on Daniel and to make a case against him. Having drawn near to Daniel in conspiracy, they then slink back to make a report to the king about him. But first, they don't just tell the king what happened with Daniel. They want to make sure that they trap this in the worst situation they can, put Daniel in the worst light they can, and to trap the king as best as they can. So when they come to the king, they first remind him, asking him about his injunction and having him reiterate that he did indeed make this command, to which the king responds that yes, he has made this injunction and that no one, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, can revoke this command. That was, that was law among the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, that what the king has once put into an injunction, it cannot be reversed. And we have cases of that actually outside of the Bible of knowing of when a king deeply regretted that he had to put to death somebody that he knew he was wrong to do it, but he had to go through with it. A similar situation here. At this point, they spring their trap on Daniel and on the king. Verse 13, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes petition three times a day. They even try to disparage Daniel and put him down as just a, an exile from Judah who serves as one of the three high officials. But they again try to put him in a bad light before the king. They also say two things about him. They say that he pays no attention to the king and that he makes petitions three times a day. The charge here made against Daniel is both true and false. It is false in that Daniel has indeed paid attention to the king and has been his most faithful servant and is even wanting to be promoted by the king. The king is wanting to promote him. But it is true that Daniel is still devoted to his God and prays to him three times a day. In recognition of Daniel's faithful service, we even see that the king was so distressed. He didn't become mad at Daniel. He was distressed of what had happened. He has now seen the plot and the trap which these unfaithful servants have set for him. So the king, in distress, he immediately set his mind to deliver Daniel. And we're told that he labored over this question of how he could do this all day. This shows the favor which Daniel had earned before the king and the loyalty which he inspired. This was because he was loyal to his king and he sought the best for this kingdom, even though he was in exile, a stranger in a strange land. Yet despite this or because of this, Daniel's enemies came before the king and reminded him of the irrevocable injunction that he has made and demanded that Daniel be brought forth. Realizing the situation which has been created and contrived by these wicked and malicious men, Darius reluctantly has to give in to the command because this is a law of the Medes and Persians. And he throws, has Daniel commanded to be thrown into a den or a pit of lions. Point 
Darius realizes that his political officials have manipulated him to the harm of Daniel, but he cannot do anything about it. Nevertheless, even as he casts them into the den of lions, the king declares to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Far from being angry at Daniel's devotion to his God, Darius sees this as hope for deliverance. Again, think of the the contrast with the fiery furnace episode. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar said, what God is there who can deliver you from my hand? While this king reluctantly throws Daniel into the pit, he says, perhaps your God will deliver you. It's an interesting parallel that we see in these texts. This king is reluctant to throw this faithful servant, and he looks to the God of that servant who he's faithfully and continually serving. He hopes that he will deliver Daniel. After he's thrown into the pit, they bring a stone and placed it on the mouth of the den, and it has this signet and the seal of the king and of his lords, meaning that nobody can remove this stone, that Daniel's sentence is sure. After this, the king went to his palace, and we're told that he fasted all evening, that he refused all distractions and entertainment, and that sleep itself fled from him because he was so deeply concerned for Daniel. In this passage, we learn of the devotion of Daniel defying the king's injunction in service to his God, and of the determination of Daniel's enemies to defile his name and destroy his person. But in the midst of this narrative, we see Darius's distress and his determination to deliver Daniel. Yet despite his loyalty and love, Darius has to give way to the law of the Medes and Persians. Yet even in doing this, this pagan king holds out hope in the God of Daniel to deliver him from this unjust sentence. As we face the threats, the slander, and the suffering which this world can and does inflict on us, will we with Daniel continue in our routines and worship and serve our God, despite the threatenings of the world? In other parts of the world, this is a much more serious question. You can think about Haiti, where trying to worship itself is really an act of faith and trusting in the Lord God. And there's many other parts of the world that is like this. In this world, will we face malicious conspiracies, which will lead to mournful commands from this, or will we face them with hope and faith in our God? Even coming to worship can look like defiance, the injustice of this world. Let's turn now to our third and final point, a marvelous conclusion. Thus far, we have seen the the care and compassion of the king toward Daniel, and that he labored to rescue him, and that he spent the night fasting and with no sleep on behalf of Daniel and his fear for him. Now we see his continued devotion. It's said in verse 16 that he said, May your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. Now we learn that the king rose early in the morning and he didn't have any sleep 
and he immediately rushes quickly to the den where Daniel was held. And we're told that in a tone of anguish, he cries out, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? God had evidently given favor to Daniel in the eyes of this most powerful king on the earth at this time. He had appointed him as a high official, planned to make him ruler over all the kingdom, sought to rescue him from punishment, and now he has rushed to find out the fate of Daniel. In language similar to God's people, Darius cries out to Daniel, asking if the living God, whom he continuously serves, had delivered him from the lion's mouth. To this, Daniel calmly, in this situation where you don't expect this, and politely responds to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before, O king, you, I have done no harm. The first thing to note is that this recalls that fourth man in the fiery furnace, right? Where God had sent his angel to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here again, the Lord sends his angel to deliver from unjust punishment. Second, Daniel sees this deliverance as a vindication of his character. His deliverance from the mouth of lions is also his vindication against the mouths of those false slanderers who had lied about him and sought his harm. Those who tried to say that he was not a faithful servant to the king. Now his character is vindicated as the Lord shuts the mouths of lions. In response to this, we're told that the king was exceedingly glad and had Daniel brought up from the den. But then says that there was no harm found on him. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And again, the Lord has delivered no harm all night in a den of fierce lions, and there is no harm found on him. As earlier, the flames of the fiery furnace burnt their captors. So here, Darius commands that those who made these charges against Daniel would be brought and thrown into this den of lions along with their families. This was not the law in Israel, but was according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Those who brought false accusations, they are going to be punished in the same way that they sought and their families as well with them. It was a harsh, but it is the truth of how it happened. And the text emphasizes that they fell into the pit, and before they even hit the ground, the lions overtook them and crushed their bones. The point of emphasizing this before they even hit the ground, the lions weren't intermittent fasting. They were hungry lions. They are deadly lions. It was the Lord who shut their mouths, and now he gives them to their nature to destroy these enemies of God's people. And they devour them instantaneously, as it were. After this, we get Darius's declaration of his decree, of God's praise. It's a beautiful summary of praise in verses 26 through 27. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, 
people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Within a short amount of time, God the Lord shows his grace to Daniel and displayed his favor to Darius. In this situation with the lions, God once again miraculously delivered his servants. In some sense, this one chapter kind of condenses all of those four chapters that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn about the Lord God, about how he is powerful to deliver. And as Nebuchadnezzar made decrees to all peoples, nations, and languages, so too Darius does this here. All of this gives the impression that perhaps Daniel had instructed Darius, telling him of former kings and tales, preparing him for his kingship. In any case, the narrative ends in verse 28 saying, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This passage can be translated as the ESV does, as referring to two different persons. Darius on the one hand, and Cyrus the Persian. Another way you could translate it is uh, in apposition. Darius, even Cyrus the Persian. Some scholars do think that Darius and Cyrus are the same. The more I study it, the more I realize I just don't know the answer to it, and it doesn't really matter that much. Um, But that is one way scholars think about that. At this point, though, is the Lord's blessing on Daniel. That's the point. Who outlived the Babylonian kingdom of his captors and now is prospering under the new Persian rule. This is another example of the Lord's greatness and his glory. In a foreign land where his worship is forbidden, yet he blesses his servants who trust in him and he delivers them. Daniel dwelled in the courts of Babylon but faithfully served. Yet he was slandered and persecuted because of his faithfulness to the Lord and his calling in the court. As we are serving as servants, being strangers in a strange land, how do we serve the Lord? How do we testify to his power to deliver and bring praise to his name? Well, one simple way we can testify to that is doing what we're doing right now, gathering together on the Lord's Day, to worship him and to proclaim his power to deliver. We get up early on Sunday morning and we come to praise the name of the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our narrative, Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. In 1 Peter 5.8, Satan is described as a roaring lion who prowls around, seeking whom he may devour. I think Peter, when he wrote this, was probably reflecting on that night when Jesus said that, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And Peter, in remembering of this, he warns people, he warns Christians that Satan is prowling around as a lion to devour us. Peter's point, in a sense, is that this world of sin and misery 
It's a lion's den with Satan, the devil, seeking whom he may devour. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be on guard. Uh, Even as these had malicious intent and made schemes against them, even so, Paul tells us, we are not ignorant of the schemes that are coming against us from Satan. This text talks about Daniel being thrown into a lion's den with the seal of the king placed on it so that nobody would disturb it. When Jesus Christ faced the, the death of the cross, when he came into this world, this lion's den, as it were, and he faced the, the wrath of God for us, was crucified, was placed in a tomb, and a stone was placed over it with a seal, very similar to this text, that no one may disturb it. But even as in our text, God sent his angel to deliver Daniel from the lion's den, so too God sent his angels to roll away that stone which kept Jesus in the grave as he was raised in glorious, glorious ways to bring deliverance to his people. You see, it is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that ultimate deliverance has come to God's people. It is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we conquer sin, death, and the devil. May all of us look to that tomb with the stone which was rolled away. But let us all look in faith to the risen Lord Jesus Christ who reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Through this victory of the cross, through the resurrection of Christ, the lion's mouth Satan, that great slanderer, has been shut. Through Christ, we have the victory. His kingdom has no end. He's the living God, and he will be worshipped and praised forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to Daniel. We thank you for the steadfast love which you've shown. But Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to all of your people in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us and ultimately to deliver all your people. Lord, we thank you for this grace, and we pray that you would help us to be faithful, help us to be on our guard, and help us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in the salvation which he brings. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In the text that we're looking at today, malicious plots were made against the people of God, but that plot turned back on them, and it actually led to their defeat and the exaltation of God's servants. What you see before us today is a picture of the result of a malicious plot of God's enemies. The malicious plot of Satan. But in the Lord's providence, that seeming defeat on the cross was actually that which crushed the head of the serpent. It's that which brings deliverance to his people. This is what we are reminded of as we look at these elements Yes, the death of Christ, but also the victory of Christ, even as we confess for us men, for our salvation. That is what is pictured here, the deliverance which comes to us. 
And in celebration, we commune with the living, exalted Lord Jesus Christ by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. But as such, this is a meal for those who have been delivered, for those who are repenting of their sins, are baptized, are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, are members of a good, faithful, evangelical church. If that describes you, this meal is for you. If it doesn't describe you, I would ask that you let the elements pass. But I would also say that as you're living in this lion's pit of a world, look to the Lord Jesus Christ who brings deliverance. The same God who delivered Daniel has delivered all those who look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, for he has shut the mouth of that lion and he has crushed the head of that serpent. If you are repenting of your sins, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, enjoy this meal and have it build up your faith. To that end, let me pray for these ordinary elements to be used to bless us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent forth your Son to be incarnate. Lord Jesus, we thank you for humbling yourself to the point of the cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you for anointing him. Triune God, we thank you for pouring out your Spirit on us. We pray now that you would bless these ordinary elements of bread and wine. And through faith, may we feed on Christ and may we be nourished and built up. We pray that you would bless us now, even as we are having this service today. It is in the exalted name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.